Well, good morning, everybody. <laughs> it is wonderful to see each of you this fine morning. It is wonderful to be with you here this morning as well. Um, I am excited to be here because it's, uh, always, it's always good to be here and speak with you. And it is always good to talk about the subject that we are talking about this morning, um, Isaiah 40, 31. Um, if you don't know that verse, that's really not what it's about this morning. But Pastor Tim, I decided to go off script and I thought that was important. Um, I would encourage you later today, maybe around 3, look up that verse, Isaiah 40, verse 31. That is not what we are speaking on today, but I hope I got some of you excited at least about that, all right, and ready for that. Other than that, I will try to keep my mouth shut for the remainder of the morning on matters that have to do with things that involve events that take place later today on TV. Those of you that know me know that I'm excited about that. Um, championships are hard to get to, and I smile with that. Anyway, anyway, enough of that. Reset. We're talking about the series that, that I, am, I am here, and we're going to speak on the last part of this series, Reset. It is the final, uh, it's the fourth week of the series that we started back at the beginning of the year. As a matter of fact, back at the beginning of the year, 2023, we were all excited to bring in this new year, right? We were celebrating. We were happy to see it come in. Maybe only I was happy. Um, were the rest of you happy to see a new year come in? Maybe you weren't. Maybe you're like, I don't know. It's just another year, just another day. Um, 22, 23, another year older there. What, what in the world? Huh? How about I was excited about 2023. One of the nice things about New Year's is we always have a chance. I, I don't know how many of you make New Year's resolutions. How, how many of you still make New Year's resolutions? Uh, many of us? Holy cow. Wow. Don't, don't bring the lights up. You don't want to see that number. That number was, whoo. Wow. Well, I guess we're done. Um, that's it. Have a great day. It's been good being here with you today. We could have shown the video. Anyway, one of the things about our walk with Christ is we do believe that there are things that we can change. And the reason that I mentioned that about New Year's, right? New Year's is some, one of those times when we look forward and we say, hey, I want to do something different. As a matter of fact, gyms all around the country, right? They see a huge change. Diet magazines, diet places, they see a huge change around the beginning of the year. Why? Because people want to change things. Dave Ramsey sees a change around the new year, right? Everybody wants to get their finances in order, and they start saying, ooh, let's get everything in order. And all of a sudden, the bills come in, and they're like, well, we're no better off anyway. So we're in trouble with that, and we, and we quit on all of those things. But we have all these great excitement. We're excited about what's going to take place in a new year. At least some of us, I think there were two of us that are. The rest of you are like, it's just another day. But some of us are excited about a new year, and we look forward to it. And then all of a sudden, what, what happens? It's the next day. And all the things that we were hoping for, it's just another mess that needs to be cleaned up, right? We were reminded that the new year didn't suddenly change my relationships with everybody around me. A new year suddenly didn't, didn't make me more knowledgeable and more wisdom, have, have more wisdom in my walk with God. A new year didn't suddenly just make everything better for me. I look back and I'm like, gee whiz, it's still the same job. I still have the same bills and only more of them, right? I still have the same diet. I still want the same food. And we, and we struggle with change. So we wonder what happened when we come up with all these ideas of change, right? Change, we want it to occur, but yet we struggle 
with the idea of it occurring. Well, for those of us that set the, for those of us that like night, ah, let's work on that again. For those of us that like New Year's resolutions, and for those of you that don't, you've just given up. You're like, this is as good as it's going to get, and that's all there is, right? Whatever it is that you have there, all right? For, there are reasons that we don't change. And as a matter of fact, there are, there are people, there's a study for everything, and there was a study done on New Year's resolutions, and one of the things that they found is that by February 1st, almost all people have given up on their New Year's resolutions. So that's just three days away, right? Wednesday of this week, those that held out, the few that held out this long, by the way, most gave up much sooner, all right? But there are a handful that held out, were holding out to the end of the month, and they are going, most of them will have given up as well. And through the study, they looked and they said, what happened? What was the change? What, what caused? What, what happened within the person that didn't allow them to, to, to make the change or hold those New Year's resolutions? And the study discovered, all right, and it's not that it was a huge discovery, but the study realized that for most, it was a lack of discipline. And as a matter of fact, most people admitted that, all right? They just freely admitted, look, I didn't have the discipline. I didn't want to stick with it. I didn't want to continue on through it. It was just my own self. I set these grandeur goals, all right, that I was going to be a new me, that I was going to get up at four in the morning and go out and run five miles and study the Hebrew text every day, something along those lines. How many of you had that as your goal? Not me, right? There you go. But somebody, we set these goals and they say, we just didn't have the discipline to hold on to it. The next one, that was the next answer that came in for most people, the next answer that came in was they were too busy. You were just too busy in life. And a lot of us have that as our answer, right? We were too busy with life and I can't fit something new in. The problem with that is, one of the things that we've discovered with people or one of the things that we realize about people is when we are too busy, it is usually we are too busy doing the things that we want to do or too busy doing the things that keep us from doing some of the things that we need to do. Does that make sense to you? We all know somebody that is incredibly busy and yet has a lot of discipline and seems to do so much. How do they do all that? You kick back and you're wondering, how in the world do they get that all done? How does she get up at 5.30 in the morning and run? First of all, who would ever want to do that, all right? But then the fact that they go and do that, and yet you know that person, right? How are they, how do they, how are they the ones that discipline themselves to read two hours a day or read however long it is a day? I don't have time to read every day. I've got to watch Hogan's Heroes at night. I know, that is old. Yeah, that's terrible, isn't it? Um, the final one, that the fi well, not the final, but the next one that came in for them that, that kept us from doing it was societal or peer pressure. And societal or peer pressure, all right, they, they come at us from always. Um, if, if, you, if you were this person or if you know somebody that strolls that wanted to change their drinking habits maybe, maybe they drank too much, they wanted to stop drinking altogether, or somebody that's a smoker, they wanted to stop smoking. One of the things that's difficult about that for that person is what? Right? The difficulty is that we still hang out with people who do that. Our, our friends didn't change just because we said that. And, and here we are, we're hanging out with our friends and we're trying to make a change. It's kind of like saying, I'm going to control my spending and Amazon's the first thing that I have open on my phone, my computer at home, anyplace else, right? I'm going to control my spending. Maybe I need to get rid of Amazon. I, I don't know what it is, right? But whatever the situation is, right? The peer pressure, it's something there that's around us, societal pressure that doesn't allow us to bring about 
that change. And what do we discover? We discover that change is hard. Change can be so hard in your life, and it can be in my life. If change were easy, whenever we saw something wrong, nobody would ever have wrong problems, right? If, if change was easy and you knew this was wrong, it, it would be easy to take care of. The, only, the other part of that that's difficult for us in change is this. Well, I'm not the problem. That person's clearly the problem, and I'm trying to change them, but we see how that's going. So we give up on that base as well. But change is hard. And in the midst of change being hard and the difficulties of change, you know what happens? A bad day comes along. I'm told I have eight seconds, or you guys have already checked out. Thanks, Shrek. <laughs> Are you here still? I'm told that I'm at fault because you're not getting to watch a good video today. Oh, my goodness. Now I'm already in the doldrums here. I'm already two things into bad days happening. And the study said that four bad things happen in a day, and you're in trouble. Well, I'm two in. What am I going to do? I, only two more things can happen. One more thing can happen before my whole day becomes bad. And the other thing, I didn't bring candy today. <sighs> See, now I'm bad to three things. I can only have one more thing. So three o'clock, six to six o'clock better be a good day for me there. I said I wouldn't talk about that anymore. I didn't bring candy today because I thought some people may still have their New Year's resolution of not eating that bad food. And I, in the midst of a message that was about, the, about change, did not want to encourage, did not want to bring that peer pressure along for people that were trying to eliminate sweets or, or shorten down on their sweets. See, I was trying to think on that. Thus, no candy today. I, I apologize. But a bad day comes along. And in the midst of a bad day, we, we struggle, right? And it, think about that. Four things to go wrong. How quick can four things go wrong, right? I woke up late. There was no hot water. Somebody pulled in front of me at the, as, I was, as I was trying to get on the highway to get to work, and I showed up two minutes late, and my boss had to naturally notice it. That's before I even opened the bad email and received the snotty text, right? It can happen so quickly, and all of a sudden, our day is right down, and change seems so hard. This morning, what we want to do is we're going to take a look at a passage of Scripture. And, and the passage of Scripture is one that is pulled out of the history of Israel. And when you want to talk about a bad day, we're not just talking, when we look at this passage this morning, we're not just talking about a bad day. We're talking about a series of bad days. And when we talk about a series of bad days, we're not just talking about maybe a week. We're not talking about a month. We're not even talking about a couple of years of bad days. We're talking about centuries of bad days. Ooh is right. Centuries of bad days. Israel, that nation that God wanted to be a shining star, right? Israel, the nation that God said, look, Abram, I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to create of you and all your own people, and you're going to be a blessing. Your testimony is going to be one that spreads around the world and shares the hope of God with others. They are going to look to you, and they are going to see you, and they are going to see the way that you, this nation, 
worships God and that's going to change them. As a matter of fact, I'm going to set you in the, cross world, in, the, in the crossroads of the known world at that time. So the Egyptian culture, to go anywhere, has to come up through you. So the, uh, the culture to the east, they have to come up and go through you if they want to trade. Up to the north, they've got to come through you. I'm going to put you right on the crossroads of humanity, and you are going to point people to the nation of God. And they do that for not very long. And you might understand that, and I might understand that. Why? Because I'm really good at that. I'm really good at pointing to God, pointing people to God for a few minutes here and there. And then all of a sudden I can revert back to my old ways, right? And the nation of Israel, that nation that was supposed to be this shining light pointing to God, they were a strong, powerful nation. As a matter of fact, during the time of David, they expanded their kingdom. During the time of Solomon, other nations would send all of their people to go and hear the words that Solomon had to say. But following Solomon, there was a civil war, and the nation of Israel was divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And that northern kingdom of Israel, they continued to look at all the nations around them, and instead of pointing people to their God, they looked at all the gods around them and said, whoa, we want to follow them. We like their gods better. We like their behaviors better. And instead of following their God that had called them to follow, they left. And God took them away into captivity and said, you know what? I'm going to punish you. Just a couple of hundred years later, as a matter of fact, in the late 500 BCs, uh, almost 600 years before Christ, the southern kingdom of Israel, they had, finally, they had finally had enough days of bad days, years of bad years, centuries of bad centuries of not following God that God said, you know what, I am going to judge you and I'm going to carry you off into captivity. And the Babylonian Empire came, surrounded the city of Jerusalem, sieged it, destroyed it, hauled away their people. And in the midst of that bad day is where we want to pick up this morning and where we want to take a look at some of our scripture today. And it's in the book of Lamentations. Lamentations is a book just by the very nature of weeping, of mourning, of sorrow, of sadness. And the sorrow and sadness that is brought about in the book of Lamentations is a book of a man that is walking through the streets of Jerusalem, the destroyed streets of Jerusalem, and remembering the beauty of a city, and yet now remembering that we have been taken captive. We are now held by the Babylonian Empire. Our, our nation, our city, our city, our shining city is no longer what it once was. Our freedoms to worship our God as we did are no longer here, no longer available. Our temple ruined, our practices destroyed. And Jeremiah, when he writes this book, is the person that could have been the one that said, I told you so. Right? I told you so. He wrote a book warning them. He had warned the nation, turn back to God. And in this book right here in Lamentations, he could have just said, you know what? It's this way. And I told him. How many of you, you really love being uh, having somebody tell you, I told you so, right? That always goes well in a discussion, an argument, whatever it is that you want to do. Um, it, it always goes well, doesn't it? Anybody want to point out their success? I'll tell you what, catch me afterwards, point out my success of when you said, I told you so, and it went really well, right? It doesn't go well. And, and Jeremiah doesn't do that. He had been right. He had warned them, but they had not listened. Listen to the words of Jeremiah. I, I'm going to actually, I'm, just, I'm going to read off of the screen. It's from the New Living Translation as we read this, but I want you to think of these words right here. The thought 
of my suffering. Right here, the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. Look at the emotion that he is writing in here. By the way, the book of Lamentations is an incredible book, the way that it is written. We, we miss some of it, but it is poetry that is written, and it actually uses the Hebrew alphabet to go through there. See, you should be up studying your Hebrew at four in the morning. What were you thinking? But anyway, no, but it, it walks us through, and it's so interesting. But he just takes us to the depth of his suffering. The thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter. It's bitter beyond words. He continues, I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. He's looking around the city, and he sees how terrible, what a mess everything is. And he's there like, I'm broken. And I've got to believe in the back of his mind, he's thinking, it didn't have to be this way. It didn't have to happen like this. But this is where we are. And the next verse, 21, he says this, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. Are, are you kidding me? Yet? Yet? In the midst of this despair, in the midst of what's going on here, you have something positive that you're going to pull out of this? Yet I dare to hope? Look around you. We're at the brink of disaster. Everything is destroyed. Everything is ruined. How in the world is there a spot for any hope in there? And yet he says, I dare to hope when I remember this. What is he saying? My worst day will not define all of my days. Think about that. My worst day does not have to define all of my days. You know what? The four bad events that happen to me in a day, they don't have to define my day. They don't have to take away and ruin the joy that I can have throughout the day. And looking at the mess that they are in, looking at the mess of their day that they are in right there, he is looking around and saying, my worst day doesn't define everything. And sometimes we look and we see what's going on in our lives. By the way, it's a, it's a trick uh, dare I say it, it's a trick of the evil one that wants to turn us to look at everything that is negative in our lives and say, see, there cannot be a God. Look around you. Look what takes place in this world. Look what takes place in this life. Look what takes place in this country of ours, the brokenness, the brokenness and the despair. Even again this week, the brokenness of life is what occurs. How that hurts and breaks and hurts our worst day does not have to define us. And he continues on and he says this and said, the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Are you kidding me again is what you want to say. Looking around, seeing that his country has been torn off, carried off into captivity. Everything is destroyed. We no longer have what we have. The faithful love of the Lord? Where is the faithful love of the Lord? It doesn't seem to be here right now, right? That's, that would be his response. But it never ends. His mercies never cease. Another way of me wording what I said about our worst day is this. Your present circumstances, right? Your present circumstances are not the full picture of God's love. And sometimes we think that it is. I look around and I see the mess that I have in my life. God, what's going on? Where are you? In the midst of this health scare, where are you? In the midst of this relational breakdown, where are you? In the midst of my need for work, Lord, where 
are you? In the midst of my desire for my family to have everything right, God, where are you? And sometimes we look at the circumstances and we think that God isn't there. And yet, and yet he is. And it brings me to the first point that I would just want us to look at this morning is this idea right here. Even when we fail, and we do, we fall short. We come up short. We miss the mark. We don't get it right all the time. Even when we fail, God's love never fails. That's true in our lives. That's true in your life today. No matter where it is that you are along your journey with Christ, it is true in our lives that God's love does not fail. We so often, we get stuck measuring by my performance. I measure my worth by how well I do. I'm measuring my worth by, by whatever it is that are my abilities. And that's all I want to do. I just want to look at them. And they're like, oh, let me pick out and measure whatever it is that I can do. God, is this when you love me, when I'm doing really well, when I'm going to church, right? We get stuck measuring, and that's not what we want to do. We get stuck in this process. We measure our worth by our abilities. Oh, I went to church three times this week. Oh, I helped in the children's ministry. Oh, I was involved with our, with our small group. Oh, I did this and I did that. God, you got to love me. God, you got to take care of me. And, and we measure my work. Oh, I was kind to this person over there. As a matter of fact, if you knew being kind to that person, what it takes, whew, if you knew that person, right? God, you know that I need a little extra special on that one, right? That, that's the way we look sometimes. And we think that sometimes we measure. But we need to remember that we fail. God's love doesn't fail. And, he doesn't me- and it's not by our own measuring stick that he is looking. God's love is not determined by yours and my ability, right? It's not to do good. His love is determined by his own character. And we need to be thankful for that. Because if it was determined by our character, we'd be in trouble. And yet God's character is a character that stands the test of time. And it holds us. It holds us when we are struggling. It holds us when there's difficulties in life. Winston Churchill said these wonderful words, success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. How true is that in our lives? How true is that in your life? Success, right? Oh, boy, I had success 10 years ago. That does a lot. Make sure everybody pays attention to that, right? Success, it's not final. Failure, it's not fatal. Sometimes we are so afraid of failure that we're unwilling to try, that we're unwilling to try something new. We're unwilling to go someplace new. We're unwilling to reach out to somebody. But what if they reject me? What if I'm trying to share my faith? What if I talk to them about God? What if I invite them to church? What if they reject me? And we become so afraid of the failure that we don't, that we lose the courage, right? We lose the courage to continue. Good salespeople know this, right? I, I, they, they know, as a matter of fact, they know how many calls it takes to get a sale. If they stopped after they got refused, there would never be a good salesman in, this, in the world, right? But they continue, they continue, and they continue to pursue and sale after call, call after call after call, until what? They finally get somebody that accepts and says yes, right? And they continue on. We need to have the courage to continue. But the writer of Lamentations, he continues he continues because he doesn't end there, but he, but he continues on with these words right here. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh. 
every new year. So we hope, no, oops. No, his mercies begin afresh each morning, right? Each morning. That's why some of you don't set resolutions because you're like, we don't need resolutions. I set new day resolutions. This new year thing, Joel, you're antiquated. You're out of style. It's new day's resolutions. Is that what the rest of you were saying? You're already ahead of me, right? I appreciate that from the rest of you there, right? Right. But God's mercies are new each morning. Again, Jeremiah is not looking at something that's wonderful and looking forward to, hey, it looks like tomorrow looks a lot better. It doesn't look better tomorrow either for him. But he's saying God's mercies are new each morning. What does that mean for each one of us? Another area that we have, every day is a chance for us to reset. Every chance is a day for us to start afresh. Yes, yesterday was not good. But you know what? I can start afresh today. And I know that today might not be the day that those relationship problems are all taken care of. But I also know that God starts afresh, that his faithfulness is true for me again today. And I don't want to give up hope. I don't want to lose what it is that God is doing for me. And in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of despair, I can be reminded that I have a God that holds me up, that allows me to have peace. We do not have to wait for a new year. We do not have to wait for a new season of life. We do not have to wait for a new whatever it is that you're hoping for. God, just give me a new something. But rather, God gives us a chance to reset each day. Sometimes, sometimes in our life, it feels hypocritical, right? Because when we talk about this idea of resetting, we can sometimes feel like we're hypocrites. And why do I say that? Because we have a little bit of the Brittany syndrome in us. The Britney syndrome, yes, that's, oops, I did it again. I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry, right? But we, have, but, we have a little bit of, but we have a little bit of that in us, right? Where they're like, oh, I did that again, and I did that again. And we've been saying that for the last week, for the last month, for the last year. Britney's been singing it for however many years now, right? Oops, I did it again, and that's where we fall, and we fall short. And yet God says, you know what, no. You're my mercies are fresh every morning. Guess what? You have a chance to reset today. That's what he wants us to know. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Well, our writer continues on, and what does he say? He says this right here. He says, I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. My inheritance, looking forward to something that I have, something that I will receive. You know what? It might not be all perfect here, and Jerusalem may not be restored here in the story of Lamentations, and your light may not come back to everything you want today, but we have a God that is there, and he is our inheritance. Therefore, I won't hope in the things that are surrounding me, but I will hope in him. He's the God who fights for us, right? He takes ashes. We sang that. It's easy to sing it, right? It's sometimes hard to believe it in our lives. He takes ashes and he turns them into beauty, right? What does he do? You're the God who 
fights for me. You're the Lord of every victory. Yeah, I love singing that on Sunday morning, but I don't always love living that on Tuesday. In the midst of struggles, in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of my family, in the midst of my work, in the midst of whatever it is that you fill in there for you that brings you strife, in the midst of my anger. God, I was going to give anger over to you, but these people keep making me angry. What am I supposed to do? Failure. I want you to realize this, that even our failure can lead us to Jesus. Can lead us to Jesus. I read a story a number of years ago of a doctor whose life was changed. His life was changed. He, he, he would claim, I don't know if he would claim that he was an agnostic or if he was an atheist, but in his early days of his residency, he used to go into these rooms, all right, and he was working with cancer patients who were terminally ill. And he'd go in, and he, fortunately, he was down in the south. He, he tells the story of being in, I believe it was in North Carolina, in North Carolina hospital, where he goes in, and he sees these people that have these, that have been declared, look, your cancer is terminal. You have X, Y, Z days to live. You need to know. And, and he would go in there, and they would have faith in God, and he'd look, and he'd wonder, how is it that you have faith in God in the midst of difficulties, in the midst that he has not brought you through this? And he, and he tells the story of one woman who looked at him and said, where else will I turn? My God is faithful even in the midst of difficulties. His life was changed as a result of that, and he became a follower. Why? Because A follower of Jesus Christ. Why? Because of the testimony of people that in the midst of struggles, in the midst of failure, we're still talking about Jesus. My failures do not have to define me. And so often we allow them to. That's one of the great things about Bridgewater as a church. Bridgewater is a church that tries not to let the failures of people define them. Sometimes churches can be so judgmental and so beat down on people who have done wrong in their past and in their lives. And they just get, oh, I don't want to go back to church because it's just judgmental and they're going to beat me down there. We want to be a place where people come. Why? Because we know that we are all broken. We are all in the process of taking our next step towards Jesus Christ. And we know that even in the midst of failure, that failure does not have to define you, but rather Jesus Christ, he has the ability to define you. The Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good. He continued on and he said these words right here. The Lord is good to those who depend on him, to those who who search for him. The Lord is good. Will we continue to search? Will we continue to look? Will we continue to put our hope in the God that is there in the midst of difficulties? Even when I wanted to make changes, I wanted the prayer to be important to me every day. And guess what? I've prayed four times so far this year. Where in the world am I falling short, Lord? Work with me. My hope is in you, right? I just want to remind you, even when we fail, God's love never fails. Every day is a chance for a reset. Even failure can lead you to Jesus. In the midst of brokenness, in the midst of despair, in the midst of all the hurt, and the nation of Israel continued to be a nation that was under control by other nations for the next 600 years. And suddenly, a little baby was born. And hope started to spur. People heard about a Messiah. A Messiah that had come. And Jesus, when he was a little bit older of a man, started a public ministry in his 20s, we, most of us would say, in his 20s. And as he said, as he went around, he started making this proclamation to a number of people who had been told, here are the rules of how to live. As a matter of fact, Pastor Tim told us last week, over 600 rules that they had to follow. 
And the religious leaders would look and they'd say, oh, you didn't wash your hands. What are you doing? You're breaking the law. Oh, you're carrying your mat. You're not allowed to carry your mat. It's the Sabbath. What are you doing? Right? And they had all sorts of laws to keep everybody holy and righteous, but they weren't doing a good job of it. So people just gave up and they quit. And into that scene, Jesus steps and he says these words, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Are you weary? Are you burdened? Do you think Jeremiah bore the weight? He felt the weight when he penned those words back in Lamentations. And yet Jesus, come to me. Are you weary? Are you burdened? Are you burdened down by all the rules that you have to maintain? I want you to come. And he said, and he continues on by saying this, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Wow, gentle and humble in heart. That's not always a story that we're told of our God, is it? Sometimes we think judging and harsh, and there is a time when he will be. But we have a Savior who tells us that I am gentle. I am humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And he just didn't say those words as a political statement to make everybody, ah, that's a really nice, everybody would call up and everybody found. But what did he do? He then proceeded to live them out. And when a woman was called in adultery, what did he do? Oh boy, she should be stoned. You're right, the law says she should be stoned. Tell you what, whoever's without sin, you go ahead, get it started. People are all excited about it. What? Now we can't do it. When he goes to the man that's born blind and everybody's wondering, why is he blind? Is it because God knew he was going to sin or his parents were the sinners, right? Which is it, God? We got to get straight now. And Jesus says, nope, let me, let me give him his sight. It was done. It was done so that he can have sight, so that he can bring glory to God. It was done so that the power of God, the glory of God might be shown in his life. The woman had been divorced five times. Jesus, don't talk with her. You should know better than that. And what did he do? He talks with her. And he turns her life of physical mourning and turns her into a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, he believed. Jesus came and he believed that there was the power of God to change lives. And he was that power of God to change lives. And that is the Jesus that we invite you to follow today. Change his heart. Change his heart. It can hold us back. It can slow us down. If it were easy, everybody would do it. We'd make all the right changes all the time. But we have a God that is there with us. Let me just close quickly with a story. 1993, Jim Valvano some of you may know the name of the basketball coach, gave a speech, a great speech. He was, uh, when he gave a speech, he was two, less than two months from his death. Cancer had overtaken his body. And what he said in that speech was, you know what, the cancer, it can take away my ability, it can take away my health, but it can't touch my heart, it can't touch my soul, and it can't touch what God is, his exact words aren't what God has done in my life, but that is me putting that in there. But it can't touch my heart. It can't touch my soul. And he was so true of that. Right? And my comment to you is this, that whatever the difficulty is around you, it may break you down. But it cannot touch a heart that God has changed. It cannot touch a soul that God has saved. And I would encourage you, 
and the difficulties and the struggles of life to hold on to the hope. In that speech, he continued on and he told people, don't give up. Don't ever give up. And that's my comment to you today. If you're looking around and you're like, oh, I've given up on ever hoping to change, don't give up. Don't do it. Continue to fight. We have a God that fights for us, that is more powerful, that is all-powerful. Galatians 6, 9 says these words, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap the harvest if we do not give up. This morning as you leave, we have a card for you in the back. You're going to be given those words right there. I want that to serve as a reminder to you that in the midst of the difficulties, in the midst of the struggles of change, I want you to know that we may become, don't become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest. Don't give up. Pray with me if you would, please. God, as we close our time this morning, I want to say thank you, Lord, for your blessings. Thank you for each one that is here today. And Lord, I just pray. I pray that we would seek to honor you with all that we have and all that we do. God, help us. Help us to realize that in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of struggles, in the midst of life that doesn't go together the way we always wanted it to, you are there. You are our God. And you are with us. God, I ask that you would help us to love you. I ask that you would help us to follow you. God, I say thank you. Help us to never give up. Help us to not grow weary in doing good for those around us. For the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus.